0: I'm Colleen and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes because it's not what you do. It's who you are. Self care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Hello, everybody. So, today we're going to be talking about contempt in marriage. Uh, If I was going to write another book, it would be How to Fix Your Marriage Without Having a Conversation with Your Spouse, because I have been able to correct a horrible case of contempt and heal myself, shocker of all shockers, within the marriage that I'm in. If you would have asked me four years ago what the chances of me not getting another divorce would be, I would have been like, there is no chance I'm going to stay so i'm going to get into that today but before we start i want to invite you to take my new quick nine question quiz on how to figure out if thinking that you're an alcoholic has created a self-fulfilling prophecy so For me and so many of us, when we realize we have a drinking problem, one of the reasons why we don't stop, drop, and deal with that immediately is because we believe that the only option we have is to quit drinking forever. Because we all live in a culture where if you have a drinking problem, then the only solution to that is to set down your drink, go directly to AA, do not pass go, do not collect $200. And we don't want to do that because it feels like an overcorrection. It feels unnecessary. Or it feels like the end of our life, the end of the party, and everything's going to have to change. And so we just put off taking any sort of action and just limp along through life with this self-defeating cycle of daily drinking or binge drinking. And it is my passion at this point in life to let you know that there are other options, that that is not the case. You don't have to wait until things get so bad that you don't have a choice, nor do you have to make a permanent decision about whether or not you're ever gonna drink again. You know, the top three mistakes that over-drinkers make when we realize there's a problem is to identify as an alcoholic and commit to a lifetime of sobriety because we believe that we are hardwired for addiction. I have done a deep dive into the science that shows those beliefs are actually what perpetuate problematic drinking. They are not the solution. And I've created a nine-question quiz so that you can evaluate your own beliefs, whether you're still drinking or whether you've been sober for a long time, it is important for you to understand that identifying as an alcoholic can actually be hazardous to your mental health, not just with alcohol, but with everything. Because how do you ever expect to feel confident if you truly believe that you don't have a choice? Either you don't have a choice in a way that you can control your drinking, so you're compulsively drinking when you'd rather stay sober, you know that would be better for you at this moment, or you're tricked into accepting that you can't control your drinking, and therefore you don't have a choice to ever have a drink again. Therefore, you have to stay sober when you'd rather be drinking. Like, neither one of those are choices, any more than a hostage negotiation is about choice. And science shows that the core tenets of AA that are creating this choice actually harm far more people than they help. Even if you've never been to an AA meeting, I had never been to an AA meeting. And yet there I was a couple days sober, having just done the most difficult thing I'd done in a long time, which was deciding to put my drink down. And all of a sudden, now I have to identify as an alcoholic and say that I have no power because I just reclaimed my power. Like it's super backwards. And once you see the science and realize that pursuing happiness instead of sobriety is what allows you to correct your beliefs about alcohol and your beliefs about your ability to control yourself and to step into your own personal power. You can reclaim your personal power. So get in the show notes and take my nine question quiz and review the science. I put in the links to all of the studies. So I back up everything that I say, but it's really good to take the quiz. Quizzes are fun, right? so that you're not just thinking about it in theory, you're actually looking at your own beliefs and then comparing your beliefs with the actual science and then reflecting on how that might actually be affecting your behavior, how your beliefs might be holding you back and blocking you from true choice and true happiness. So that's in the show notes. Get in there and take my quiz And once you see the results, you will be invited if you want to watch my full hour presentation on why pursuing happiness instead of sobriety is the only way to reclaim your power so that you can feel passionate and purposeful in your life. Because think about it, truly happy people don't drink themselves into a stupor. If you're focused on happiness You don't need to worry about sobriety because your purpose has nothing to do with alcohol. We're not in high school anymore. You don't need to identify as a drinker or a non-drinker. So take the quiz and if you find that you have a lot of limiting beliefs, sign up for my free one-hour training on how to reclaim your power and move on with your life. So as we dive into how to resolve contempt in your marriage, I'm going to paint the picture for you of where I was. A month into COVID lockdowns, I was absolutely miserable. This is April of 2020. You know, I was not only drinking every single day, um, but I was married to somebody, quite honestly, I couldn't stand. And I felt trapped and powerless in my life. I had four kids, two of them were still in high school, and I had no income of my own. But I had been through a divorce, and I knew what that would look like. The four kids were mine, so they'd be coming with me, and I'd have to relinquish custody of my ability to buy gas and groceries and all the little shit that seems to add up to like $1,000 a day. And I was angry and resentful that I was in that position again. You know, it just isn't fair. I had spent 20 years in my first marriage putting all my eggs into my husband's career basket. I was taking care of our kids and our life so he could go to work and make more money. And we were a really good team right up until we decided we hated each other. And when we split, I wanted more than anything to build a career and I actually partnered with a startup and was putting in like 60 hours a week and making no money because I wanted to bypass the regular nine to five option of being somebody else's assistant you know going to work somewhere that wasn't part of my passion and my desire I wanted to work for myself I wanted to have control of my time and my money and my creativity but after nine months that Hail Mary business venture was dead and I had to cut my losses, and all that work was wasted. I felt hopeless and stuck, and I had no idea how I was gonna support myself and my kids in any way that I felt like it was actually worth getting up in the morning. And then I met my second husband, and he seemed to fall instantly in love with me, and I fell in love with being adored and taken care of again. And we went from hooking up to moving in together within six months. And once again, I was playing the role of wife and mother, adding his three kids to my list of people that I needed to prioritize over myself every single day. You guys, we had seven kids between the ages of eight and 15. And the drama and chaos of trying to blend our families and co parent with our exes was insane. So I made the best of it and I kind of tried to drink through the stress. I wasn't drunk all the time or anything like that. I was highly productive and I was loving and I was caring and I showed up everywhere I was needed. And honestly, I had a lot of fun. It was crazy and hard, but it was also beautiful or brutal. You know, I could be a stand-up comedian with all the stories I have. I have no regrets of that time. But slowly, over time, the drinking got more self-destructive. My tolerance was such that a bottle of wine was just a warm-up lap. So I'd keep a decoy bottle on the counter so it looked like I was limiting myself to one or two glasses. But then I had a stash in my closet where I hit hit for refills. And I really thought I was getting away with it. You know, nobody knew how much I actually drank. I didn't even know. (laughs) Because like I said, I kept bottles all over the place so I didn't have to count. But the game of charades that I was playing was a full-time job. I spent all day crawling out of the hole. I would exercise and eat healthy and do all the things for all the people and then be so exhausted that the only thing I had the energy to do was pour a drink in the evening and then do it all again. I was just searching for relief. And meanwhile, all of that's going on and I was growing more and more resentful of my husband. It seemed like since he made all the money, he made all the decisions. I felt like I had married into his life, his dreams, his rhythms and preferences and his schedule. And the fact that I wasn't just over the top happy and that I thought my life wasn't good enough made me feel like a total ungrateful bitch. And I knew something had to change. And one day I just woke up sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I decided that I needed to either shit or get off the pot, but I didn't know how to support myself. And yet I also knew I was never going to figure it out with a chronic hangover. And if I was going to get a divorce, I needed to sober up. So I did quit drinking. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got in that first day, I think, was to not make any major decisions for a whole year. And so that was the first gift I gave myself. Well, the second, really. The first was, you know, sobriety. But the second gift I gave myself was time. Time to get my head right. Time to figure out what I wanted. Time to just take care of myself. And I also started being honest because I wasn't guilty anymore of sneaking and lying about how much I was drinking every day. And so I honestly started to feel more justified in my anger towards my husband. I told him pretty soon, within a month or so of quitting drinking, I told him straight up that our marriage was over. And I moved into the guest bedroom and started looking at Zillow apartments or houses or whatever. But remember, this was early COVID. There was nowhere for me to go. But instead of feeling trapped... I was starting to feel liberated because I just wasn't playing the game anymore. I was owning my truth. I'm not happy. And I was finally willing to do something about it, even if at first the only thing I could really do about it was just not drink. And taking my taking responsibility for my own happiness changed everything. Not overnight. It was a long haul. But before I explain how I healed the contempt in my relationship, I want to spoil the ending of the story so that you can see how dramatically your reality can change when you stop assuming that everything you think is real and true. I went from being trapped in a marriage to someone I thought was at best an insensitive, arrogant, selfish prick to being fully committed to a man I respect and admire. I went from feeling like I have no power to feeling like I have all the power, not in the relationship, but in my own life. I have no sense anymore that I need to sacrifice my own happiness for the sake of my husband. And I'm in active pursuit of my own goals and dreams. And I know that the only person that can ever prevent me from achieving what I want is me, and this transformation is still hard for me to wrap my head around because the 2020 version of me was so sure that my husband was a legit certified narcissist. Have you ever gone down the rabbit holes on YouTube for how to spot a narcissist? Holy shit, I got sucked into that for about six months. I watched the videos, I bought the books, and I took on the role of victim. And everything he said and did went through the filter of the diagnostic criteria for narcissism that is listed in the DSM-5. I may not be a medical doctor, but I sure as hell can read and relate. And that dude was guilty of narcissism. He could even bring me flowers and tell me how much he loved me, and I would interpret that as the honeymoon phase of emotional abuse. I just Googled before I set up for this uh, podcast, I Googled the signs that you're in a narcissistic relationship or marriage, which is where I lived for quite a while. And I want to read these signs to you because they are so telling. And I know I'm not the only one that deals with this because narcissism is a huge word, a huge trigger word. Everybody's a narcissist. Anybody that's ever gotten a divorce, their ex is a narcissist, right? Right. Okay. So here are the signs. Just listen to them. One, you don't feel connected. Two, you feel manipulated. Three, you don't feel good enough. Four, you're constantly being gaslighted. Five, you avoid conversations. Six, you feel responsible for everything. Seven, you're walking on eggshells and eight, you can see through the charm. I want you to notice how everything on that list describes how you feel. It doesn't say anything about your partner. We're being taught to diagnose mental disorders in other people based on how we feel and experience the relationship. And that is crazy. That is exactly the definition of prejudice and bias and self-fulfilling prophecies. These are not fair-minded assessments that produce accurate information. So the worse I felt, the more damaged it appeared my husband was. And I was feeding my brain, my psyche, a regular diet of lists and ideas just like these. I was programming myself to see him as an abuser. And so, of course, that's exactly what I saw. So it's no wonder that contempt was eating my marriage from the inside out, eating me from the inside out. Contempt is when you feel that somebody deserves to be disrespected because they're stupid or evil or damaged beyond repair. You've tried and convicted them in your own head and rendered a verdict of guilty. And the story you're telling yourself distorts your perception so that you literally can't see anything else because your nervous system now perceives that person as a threat. And according to all the experts on YouTube, the only way to escape that threat when it's narcissism is to run as far and as fast as you can because narcissism isn't curable and there's no chance of ever having a healthy relationship with a narcissist. But once I got sober and started taking better care of myself, I started showing up differently in my marriage. I realized just how much of a raging codependent I had been. How I had given away my own power at every turn, thinking that I needed my husband's permission and approval and agreement to do anything but exactly what he wanted. And so it started, my first epiphany was last summer, not this summer, last summer, when I decided to stay at our lake house during the week instead of traveling back and forth with him every weekend. I was working a lot, and I had decided I need to prioritize my own needs and my own time over his expectations that I be at home making dinner every night. And one weekend, after he had had a brutal week on call, no sleep, he arrives tired and hungry and cranky. And we had been texting, and I was ready for a fight. I knew he was pissed at me, or at least he thought he was pissed at me. But when we sat down to talk, I had that epiphany. I was like, oh my God, what if his feelings are his problem? What if they're not even actually a problem? Like, what if it's perfectly normal for him working as hard as he does, long hours, to want somebody to make him dinner? Like, I'd like somebody to make me dinner. What if in this moment I have compassion for his feelings and not apologize for my actions? Like, what if this isn't about power in our relationship, but a simple logistical issue with meal prep? In the past, I would have perceived my husband as a demanding overlord who expects his cavewoman wife to be at his beck and call. But in that moment, my reality kind of cracked and I saw a really hardworking man who was doing his best, actually, to adjust to his wife's new career uh, obligations and, and aspirations. And so, In that moment, changing the way I showed up, standing in my own power and managing my feelings and then letting him manage his feelings, laid the foundation for what is now an equal partnership no longer filled with contempt on either one of our sides. And as the contempt began to fade, I no longer felt like my marriage was in direct conflict with my own happiness, at which point I began to look for other biases and assumptions that were blocking me from just a loving, peaceful relationship. You know, that's all we want, right? And the truth was, I still didn't really think it was possible for me to feel like I was in love with him. I was still at that point simply trying to tolerate the situation, you know, put my boundaries in and stand up for myself and and be my own person. My goal at that point was to just be kind, to be polite, treat him like with the same dignity and respect I would a stranger in the grocery store, and then also be kind and nice to myself, just simply until I could figure out another plan. But then I had another epiphany, and that was that the essence of who my husband is was not blocking me from feeling connected to him. This wasn't about a lack of love. What was keeping me from putting both feet back into my marriage was one single idea. It was a thought in my head causing me as much trouble as a rock in my shoe. The idea was that maybe I had never really loved him in the first place. I had to come to accept the hard truth that my desperation post-divorce from my first husband And my inability to support myself had fueled my attraction to him. And that had I not been in a situation where I needed him, I may not have actually chosen him as a partner. And that, my friends, was the deep, dark truth that was fueling my contempt and robbing me of my own power. Because I didn't want to face that. I didn't want to look at that. I didn't want to admit that. And so avoiding that required me to concoct this story that cast my husband as the villain so I could justify leaving. I didn't want to face the shame and the guilt that I had over how and why we had gotten together. But here's the thing. When you're doing thought work, when you're doing work to learn how to regulate your nervous system... You know, the reasons I married him don't matter. They don't even exist. At this point, they're just words in my brain, in my own imagination, causing me a hell of a lot of stress and distress, okay? They are not, thoughts in our brain, ideas in our head are not big T, capital T truth, the only truth that mattered matters in this situation is the neutral circumstance. We're married right now. Like that's it. That's the only thing that exists in this present moment is a legal agreement between the two of us to be husband and wife. And the real truth is that there are thousands of reasons why we got together. Some were based on true desire and others were Definitely based on need. We both needed each other. He was going through a divorce as well. He needed me to set up a home for his kids. And for every dollar he contributed to our household, I contributed sweat equity. Like, it's okay. Marriage is founded on the principle of domestic partnership, you know? And over the last 10 years that we've been together, we've both done the best that we could. And we've both made mistakes. But the bottom line is that nothing has gone wrong. And I had to look at that big picture and not allow one little partial piece of what might be true, might've been true at the time, which I didn't think that at the time, right? That's only in hindsight where I'm creating this story and writing this narrative and making things mean what they didn't mean at the time. At the time, I thought I was completely in love and this is going to be the best thing ever. And this is why it's so important to develop the skill of feeling your feelings, (laughs) because your feelings don't tell you the truth about the outside world. They just reveal the story that you're telling yourself. But here's the deal. There's no such thing as a true story. A story is always one of many possible interpretations of neutral facts, And when you fail to understand the difference between a story and fact, you miss out on all the other options about what else could be true. You lose the power to decide what things mean because you think you've already figured out what they mean. And meaning is made in the mind. You can make things mean or not mean whatever you want. And you have a right to change your mind when any belief is not serving you, including and especially the beliefs that you don't want to even admit to yourself. You know, it takes a lot of courage to face the, quote, truth, but denying and pretending that the thoughts aren't there only give them more power in your subconscious. Once you own it, like, yep, that's one of the things I think, That's when you can accept it and then decide and make a choice if you want to keep thinking that. You know, the only way to not feel like a hostage in your own marriage is to stop telling yourself you don't actually have a choice to leave, to stop denying that there are thoughts that are bothering you. And why do we do that? Because we're afraid if we acknowledge that we think that, we're going to act on that. But a thought is just a thought. We don't have to fear our own feelings. Just think about where I'd be right now feeling unhappy in my marriage if I wasn't willing to allow myself to bring up the reality that somewhere, somewhere along the line, I had decided that we should have never gotten together in the first place. It was only by looking at that and allowing for that and fully accepting myself with that, that I was able to make a choice of whether or not I wanted to stay or go. Had I continued to let that idea fester, this would be a very different podcast. So I have a few pieces of advice for anybody who wants to heal the contempt in their marriage, if you are facing the same situation. And that is to understand that contempt is about three things. Number one, your own unmet needs. Number two, your own unenforced boundaries, and number three, a lack of connection. So with the unmet needs, you must accept full responsibility for your own needs and desires. The expectation that your partner is responsible for your happiness, that any single person on the planet could make you happy, that is why most marriages break up. No relationship can withstand that kind of pressure. No one person can meet all of your needs. And it's not your job to meet theirs either. At some point, I decided that I had to sacrifice my own happiness in exchange for something else. I don't know, support, I guess. I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. I think a lot of women think that right but what I've learned from two marriages and a lot of other things is you can't sacrifice your happiness for somebody else's it doesn't work like that you sacrifice your happiness and now two miserable people are sharing a bed because nobody's happy and it wasn't until I took responsibility for my needs realizing I wanted more you know there's nothing wrong with being a wife and a mother nothing wrong but it wasn't making me happy. The last of my kids were in high school and about to leave the nest and I wanted more. I didn't want to do lunches at the country club. I didn't want to go volunteer somewhere. I didn't want to go get a front desk job at a nonprofit organization. Nothing wrong with that. I wish I did, right? I mean, I'm working my ass off here trying to start a business, but it absolutely lights me up. It is the reason I get up every morning. I wanted more. I was ready to explore and expand and be an entrepreneur and create things and not just be the support team. And again, nothing wrong with being the support team. I did it for almost 30 years. But I was ready for more and I had to acknowledge that and quit blaming my husband because of his work schedule or what he wanted for dinner as reasons why I couldn't pursue my own dreams. Okay, so that's number 1. Your own unmet needs are causing your contempt. Number 2 is boundaries. Oh, You know, we usually think of boundaries as the limits we set on other people's behavior, but there is a big difference between setting a boundary and making a request. Usually what we're doing is making requests. We are asking somebody to say or do something different so that we can be happy or more comfortable or whatever, but they do have a right to say no. And expecting other people to follow through on our requests to meet our needs at the expense of their own is a really good way to feel disappointed and let down. Here's the reality. Other people can say and do whatever the hell they want. And so can you. Okay, a boundary is a prescription for your behavior, not somebody else's. A boundary is what you're going to say and do in certain situations, not somebody else. And we confuse making requests with setting boundaries because we are hoping that somebody else is going to do the hard thing so we don't have to. So we don't have to take actions. We don't like to enforce consequences because we think we're afraid of how other people will feel. But it's not other people's feelings that are causing our problems. It's our feelings about other people's feelings that are causing our problems. And that is what we have to learn how to tolerate. Again, we have to learn how to tolerate our own feelings. Your thoughts about somebody else's thoughts are still your thoughts, okay? So that's number two, boundaries. And then the third thing that causes contempt is a lack of connection, but here's the deal. Like I said, I wanna write a book about how to restore your marriage without having a conversation with your partner because connection doesn't require a conversation. Think about it for a minute. You can feel connected to a dead person. How is that possible? It's because your heart is open to it. You're looking for evidence of communication and you're finding it and you're believing that. And all of that happens in your mind. And I'm not saying it's not real. I very much believe we can connect with people on the other side, but only if we're willing, only if we're looking for it. And when it comes to marriage, it's not a lack of love. It's a lack of connection. We don't feel seen. And for me, the reason was I wasn't participating fully and honestly in the conversations. I would sit there and tell myself I was a hostage, stuck listening to another one of his stupid stories. And as long as that was my attitude, that was my experience. It was only when I set the intention to show up authentically, radically honest, even about the fact that I wanted to leave. Allowing myself to be seen by my husband, to be vulnerable, allowing him to see me and accepting his feelings about it and accepting my feelings about it and just letting it be what it was, that is what created the connection. It was really a connection to myself with inside the relationship that I was actually present and I... I'm not fooling myself. You know, our marriage could still end at some point. I hold no illusions of forever. I really just don't. You can make all the promises in the world to never drink again, to stay married forever, whatever, but you can also wake up tomorrow and change your damn mind. We change our minds all the time. So I hold no illusions that I've solved every problem in my relationship and now for the rest of my life, this is the happy ending I'm reporting. But what I will say is is I honestly do believe that if my husband and I were ever to part ways, it would be a mutual understanding, more like we're setting each other free to pursue separate paths. It would not be because we're miserable and we're making each other miserable and that there's a lack of love or connection. It would be out of recognition that the marriage isn't capable of meeting both of our needs anymore. That's really it. And you can't have a healthy marriage if both people don't get their needs met. I mean, we have to wake up to that reality, especially ladies, I'm talking to you. You know, we have grown up thinking we can sacrifice our happiness, we can sacrifice our needs, but a healthy relationship requires the needs of both people to be met. And if it's not, then it's not a healthy relationship and the foundation is being eroded, either with contempt or resentment or, you know, looking elsewhere for love, like whatever. So my... I'm not going to say advice. I'm not going to even say recommendation. I'm just offering this into the universe. If you are struggling with contempt in your relationship and you feel physically safe, like for me, I was being eaten alive by contempt, but I am married to a kind man who understood when I told him I was moving into the guest bedroom and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I thought I wanted a, a divorce. Like he allowed all of that and we didn't live in a home with screaming and, you know, violence or anything like that. So if you're struggling with contempt, understand it's a you problem, not your partner. And if you're safe to stay where you are, then consider staying where you are? And hear hear me out. What if you decided to learn how to stay before you decide if you should leave? So that leaving feels like a choice, not something you have to do, not something you're being forced into because the other person is some rotten piece of shit that is no longer worthy of, you know, a shared life. Because here's the thing, in any divorce, you're going to get custody of your own mind. And if you don't take the time to learn how to meet your needs and enforce your boundaries and stay connected to yourself, you're simply going to leave and go with yourself wherever you go and go repeat the same patterns in a different relationship. Like what if you gave yourself permission to figure all this out right in the relationship that you're in? Without any expectations, you know, I still, like I said, don't have expectations that, oh, for sure, we're going to be married forever. This is perfect. Nothing is permanent. But I cannot believe that the 2020 version of myself, who again, was married to a selfish, arrogant, ignorant prick, is now married to the exact same man legally. And I feel truly ad- ad- admiring and respectful and loving towards him. I'm here because I choose to be here. But I had to do all of that work right where I was at. And I tell you the other reason why I decided to pursue this solution of working on myself first, because had I quit drinking and decided, okay, you know, I have to make myself happy, I have to escape this relationship, whatever, I would have thrown my life into fucking chaos. And then instead of being able to do the work on myself to heal myself, And take full responsibility for everything I'm thinking and feeling and learn how to manage my mind and how to regulate my nervous system and how to untangle all of the, you know, stories that I've created and go down to the core and figure out what is it that I'm believing and what is it that I want to believe. If I hadn't given myself the space and time to do all of that because I was so busy getting another damn divorce... Like I said, again, I'd probably be married to somebody else, having the same exact fight, new name, new faces, old story. So if you're safe where you are, consider giving yourself permission to take the time and the space to figure out the source of your contempt, because I guarantee you the call is coming from inside the house. All right. So... I hope that helps. I hope that gives you some insight. Reach out to me if you have any questions. And if you have not hit the subscribe button on Recover with Colleen podcast, please do. I really appreciate it. When you subscribe, um, I get credit for your downloads every single week. And the, the more downloads I get, the more I show up in the searchable charts so other people can find my show. So you're supporting the show without doing anything but hitting the subscribe button. So thank you in advance for doing that. And I'll remind you again to get in the show notes and take the quiz to find out if your beliefs about you being an alcoholic, even secretly wondering like if your only option with your drinking problem is you have to quit drinking forever, get in the show notes, take the quiz. And then if the quiz blows your mind, sign up and watch my new training for how to take back your power over alcohol by pursuing happiness instead of sobriety. And towards the end of that, I do talk about what we do in the next chapter, which is my 12 week program for women in recovery not from alcohol. I mean, of course, you do have to recover if you've been a daily drinker and your brain is frickin fried there, you do have to recover. But we are recovering ourselves. We are, again, learning how to manage our nervous system and manage our mind and to operate out of a growth mindset and to fix our dopamine deficit with self-directed neuroplasticity. Those are the four tenets of my program. And I have such a beautiful and amazing tribe of women. Some of them are coming into my program to learn how to reintroduce alcohol after being in AA for years and realizing, oh, that's just a story. I don't have to believe that shit anymore. And some of the women, about half and half, are coming in because they're needing to quit drinking and, you know, do a period of sobriety so that they can take the time to unravel their cords. We have amazing three group calls per week and our tribe is so tightly knit and it's just beautiful. And so if you are searching for a solution to get out of your own way, get out of your own head, figure out how to put down the drinking, you know, because that's a big thing. If you believe you can't control your drinking or you believe you can't sustain a period of sobriety longer than 37 seconds or whatever, then you need support with that. And just listening to podcasts and reading self-help books is a very two-dimensional approach to a solution. I mean, you can get a lot of good ideas, right? But doing mindset work is alone is like trying to do hair and makeup without a mirror. You just need feedback and having coaching and having a tribe, your own personal tribe of mindset, you know, super ninja mindset warriors, having your own tribe to talk about this stuff and to work through the obstacles and to learn how to take small actions and to give yourself full credit for partial wins so that you don't constantly feel like you're starting over having a place to plug into to do that is, is uh, it's like adding baking soda to your cake. You will rise and exponentially expand so much more rapidly than if you're sitting in your room, writing in your journal, trying to read a book and figure it out on your own. Like we have so much fun in the next chapter learning how to get out of our own way and call each other on our own bullshit and then celebrate the wins together. So get in the show notes, take my nine question quiz, do the uh, one hour training. And then if you're interested, book a discovery call with me. I'm happy to chat with you and help you figure out if my program is a good fit for you. And if it's not, what your next right step is. So take care. Thank you for tuning in and I will see you next week.